Hi, and welcome to the B2B Marketing webinar channel. My name is Joel Harrison. I'm Editor-in-Chief for B2B Marketing. Welcome to this webinar today, which is going to focus on one of the hottest topics in B2B right now, which is sales enablement. I've got two, I've got three fantastic panelists uh, today. Almost, I couldn't count. That's not a very good start for a webinar, is it? Um, and I'm really excited to introduce them to you in a minute. We're going to have a great conversation all around the topic and the theme of sales enablement. But it wouldn't be a good webinar if we didn't get your contribution. So we'd love to get your questions and your comments and your thoughts at any point. And you can do that um, by using the... Uh, the tab at the side of the of the of the screen, which is the questions tab, which has got a, a handy little question mark at the side. So please do use that. So we'd love you to get again go to do those as ever as whenever they occur to you. So um, so we're gonna I'm gonna introduce the panel or get the panel introduced themselves because they'll do it much better than I will in a, in a brief moment. But before we do that, just a few kind of housekeeping points and some scene setting as well. Um, so um, uh, so here we are. We're talking about. Um, uh, the future of sales, how to adapt and, and to enable the future of sales. So very big topic at the moment, very important, very prescient, and we're going to dive into that in a moment. Um, as I say, I'm going to introduce them properly in a moment. We'll get them introduced themselves properly in a moment. We have uh, Gabby Warren from High Spot, Tim Hughes from DLA Ignite, and Barry Richards from Transmission, all going to talk about um, sales enablement and the future thereof and how that wraps up into marketing and sales and everything in between. Uh, but I'll get them to talk a little bit more about themselves and their experience um, in just a sec. Um, but in terms of the agenda, I mean, um, you know, sales enablement um, is a topic which, and this is, um, you may have been to one of the other webinars we've done. This is the fourth in a series we've done with Highspot, all on the topic of sales enablement. And, and I think one of the conclusions we've had, I'm sure Gabby will agree with me, is that, and, you know, we proved this with our first piece of research on sales enablement last year, you know, perhaps driven to a degree by um, by the pandemic, you know, it's a topic which has kind of come of age this year. Um, and it, it seems like it's, people really understand it as never before and, and are interested in it as never before. So so we're going to be looking at that and exploring and understanding it and we're going to be uh, asking amongst the questions we're asking is things like how do sales and marketing teams need to be structured to face new environments um, how are content needs and expectations changing in response to buyer behavior how sales and marketing uh, must adapt for future event future of events and meetings uh, that's a, a, a key issue for everybody concerned um, and perhaps how marketing can assist in final stage negotiations in a way that perhaps they weren't expected to do before. So all pertaining to the issue of how sales and marketing uh, are, are changing and, and how sales enablement is becoming more important as a, as a, as a, um, an, 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 a thing to do, an activity or a mindset within that in that kind of journey. Um, so, yeah, we'd like to get your votes in. So I'm going to go back to um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to end these slides um, and I'm just going to. Um, no, I'm not going to end slides and then we're going to go back and I'll introduce the panel and then we're going to do some uh, some votes uh, and polls after that. So, um, so Gabby, could you start by introducing yourself? Tell us a little bit about you and tell us about um, kind of your your background and your kind of role or interest in sales enablement. Yeah, so I'm Gabby Warren and I run the marketing organization at EMEA for Highspot. We are one of the largest sales enablement uh, vendors in the world. And so we work with several large uh, customers. And so obviously I'm on both sides of leveraging sales enablement, both in um, organizing how we run sales enablement internally. And so enable our own sales force, but also in advising our own customers um, as to how they run their own sales enablement functions. I've been doing this for over a decade and I'm really pleased to be here with you guys today. And, and you've seen in your career, you've seen it change an awful lot in that period. 
Definitely, yes. It's been monumental changes in the last decade or so. Okay, fantastic. Thank you, Gabby. It's great you can be here today and, and join us for this conversation. Next person I'm going to introduce themselves is Tim. Hi, Tim. Thank you for joining us today. Tell us a bit about yourself and your background and, and your kind of interest in the topic of sales enablement. Thank you. Yes, Joel, um, it was back in 2014. Um, I was working in a big, um, large US software company. It wasn't Highspot, by the way. And um, uh, we were used to 18-month sales cycles. We were an on-premise company. And we took on a salesperson from um, a competitor. And he said in a meeting, well, we closed at the first meeting. So, we're, so we suddenly realized we had a competition that were basically closing at the first meeting. And our salespeople were, um, uh, had 18-month sales cycles. Um, so we went through a complete business process re-engineering of the sales department, um, teaching them a number of things like storytelling, whiteboarding, um, and also using social. Um, and which how I came about to write my first book, which is Social Selling Techniques for Influence Buyers and Changemakers, available on Amazon, by the way. And, um, um, and, um, and, and that's what I do. I, uh, we, we transformed something like 4,000 salespeople um, to move and make that transition from, um, from on-premise to, to SaaS. And I just see that change accelerating. And, and, and I guess... Accelerated it. Yeah, I was going to say in the current the context of the last twelve months, you know that yes. that what might have been seen as optional and you know theoretical sometime in the future has now become critical. Yeah, well, we we had like the the first week of COVID, we had Workday ringing us up saying, um, you know that thing that you've been talking to us about about social, like you need to come in now and do it on Friday, and so you know it's been it's been transformational, really has. Yeah, fantastic, Tim. Great. Looking forward to hearing your insights along the journey here today. Thank you for joining us today. The last person I want to introduce is, is Barry. Hi, Barry. Thank you for joining us today as well. Tell us a bit about yourself and, and how you, you're coming from an agency perspective. Tell us a bit about how you, you're kind of involved in this topic and what it means to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I guess uh, the agencies that I've worked with um, have had a large, a large number of clients who are in the enterprise, kind of enterprise mid-market space. So whatever campaigns we've done, whatever marketing we've done, we've always worked with a sales team somewhere. Uh, along that line and and yeah I've, I've been involved in introducing salespeople to social to LinkedIn uh, under different guises uh, I'd say probably in the last four years it's really really ramped up our agenda you know we're an agency that does a lot of account-based marketing with our clients um, and for anyone who's been involved in that you know a key principle is you've got a single strategic approach to a key account with marketing and sales aligned so from 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 someone who gets involved in running those programs, our understanding and focus around sales enablement I think has changed dramatically, uh, particularly in the last couple of years, um, which which I, I, I won't talk about now. But but yes, I, I think I think more and more it's hand in hand. Um, and, and and actually from pre agency when I was client side, you know, I spent a lot of time with salespeople and and. Yeah, I, th I think the interesting thing is, you know, what is sales enablement at the end of the day? That's, that's oh. one of the questions for most people. Let me just put that out there. Now now you've kind of you've completely taken the conversation off in a different direction, Barry. You know, that's a good agency. Right. Challenge the brief. You know, don't don't respect what you've been given. Say, you know, make it make it different. It's a good point. We should just re refer to that. I might just get um, a, a Gabby to kind of um, lead on that one because she might have more perspective on it. But we'll do that in a second. But, but I, mean, I guess that, um, you know, I guess... Sales enablement, Barry, from an agency's point of view, arguably that is what agencies do, right? But then it probably wasn't called that, was it, in the in the past? Is it something that is referred to? It's more kind of common parlance today. Is that fair? 
Look, I, 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 I think absolutely, Joel. Interestingly, now this this might be predominantly. So, so I've worked predominantly in the tech industry for most of my for, for most of my marketing career. Sales enablement going back always used to be, or, or and I think still for some is a cheat sheet, a customer facing presentation, and a leave behind, right? Mm. And 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 that that was kind of what was behind my question because I think that. Um, perhaps for those of us who've been around longer, it's challenging that view of what sales enablement is, um, and understanding that actually there there is a much wider spectrum of things, and 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 actually a lot a lot wider spectrum of things that marketing can work with sales on than those three kind of traditional things. Now those traditional things perhaps might might just be me and my experience in tech, and that might not be universal, but that's that's kind of where I'm coming from. Well, I think it's a good it's a, it's a it's a good setup because I mean we you know we've um this is a we have done. This is the fourth webinar I've done the high spot, but not everyone who is here today or watches on demand will have been to all of those. So it might be worth Gabby, just tell us a bit about how do you reflect on on Barry's kind of definition of sales enablement there? Yeah, so I think sales enablement is really, really broad and it started very much as almost like what field marketing used to do. And it was very much like those thick playbooks with all of the initiatives, everything that salespeople were supposed to know and talk about. And soon enough, people realized, you know what, it doesn't work. And there is a famous Harvard Business Review article that says basically 70% of strategic initiatives don't work. And that's, you know, sales, marketing initiatives, et cetera. And, you know, sometimes it's not because the strategy isn't right, but it's because it just doesn't translate to the actions that are taken every day by the frontline sales team. And so enablement has evolved into a function that allows them to do that and goes far beyond, you know, those thick, thick binders that had all of the sales plays, et cetera. So it's become a new discipline that actually requires teams, it requires collaboration. It's not, you know, a webinar one and done kind of discipline. It's an ongoing work uh, that multiple teams participate in, have ownership for, and actually have to deliver our ROI for. So, so more beyond a tactic, beyond a deliverable, into a kind of a philosophy or a mindset to a degree. Tim, how do you reflect on that? Have you have you seen that in your experience? Yeah, I think that um, um, yeah, I think Gabby's onto something there. Um, I think that um, we've seen a big change in the in the sales process, and it's become far more complex. Um, and I think in the past, certainly what I saw was when I worked at a big corporate was that the people would turn up and the salespeople would sit there and go, you can't teach me anything because you're in whatever discipline you are. And what you need to do is actually embed people within the sales team or within the sales function um, that actually work with the sales team and understand the terminology and understand the, the strengths and weaknesses. I mean, if you look at, um, uh, I think there was some research even pre-COVID where the average person in the US uh, they're spending $8,000 per person on sales tech. Um, and, you know, so so the, the, the job in terms of a salesperson has got far wider and broader in terms of their responsibilities, not just about tipping up a, 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 an organization and running through a PowerPoint presentation and pitching. It's far more detailed than that. Okay, so lots of lots of change going on. What I'm going to do is this is a great starting point. It's lovely to be pulled off piece by by, by panelists. So that's so great and introduces new elements to the conversation. So fully in favour of that. So Barry, well done for doing your agency job there. Good points, um, Barry. Yeah. 
<laughs> I didn't, I, who's keeping score? Um, I'm going to. I'm going to do is I'm gonna ask a. I'm going to ask a couple of polls to the audience because it's just good for us to understand um, where everybody is um, in terms of their their personal. Um, <clears throat> um that's the wrong the wrong thing i've asked there the um their kind of um their personal setup because it helps us understand that so the, per the first first poll is a really simple one is what is your role um and and you know four options here marketing sales agency other so tell us who you are tell us what your role is so if you could vote there it's really helpful it helps us understand who's tuned in and it helps us understand who we're talking to so please 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 do um vote on that one whilst you're doing that i hope you can all see that um whilst you're doing that i hope jack's going to tell me if you can't um so um and we can see that live which is quite i might start asking the rest of my questions um so uh, i think um, you know there's a danger obviously that we've slightly overlapped on this one but um you know so i mean gabby you and i've spoken about this before but um uh, that would you agree that um, you know we've kind of I see the setup. I said that um, sales enablement's kind of come of age. We've reached this kind of golden age of sales enablement. You know, it's been as Barry said, it's been bumbling along in the background. You know, and it, and it was a it was a tactic. It was a it was a kind of um, um, a deliverable, but it wasn't really it wasn't really something that was in strategic or um, what's been you know what's been kind of driving um, uh, that, that maturity? I mean, think, and both in the long term, the short term, we, I think we all agree that COVID has accelerated that to a degree, but think about the longer term, what's been driving that? One of the key things that have been driving that is the fact that your buyer is a lot more well-educated than they used to be. They have access to a lot more information and they have bigger networks of people. You look at LinkedIn, you look at, you know, even Facebook and Twitter, et cetera. You have access to a lot of people who are potential software users who are in your industry and who, who you can actually connect with and communicate with. And so um, sellers cannot be um, going into these conversations unprepared. They have to have all of the information. And on top of that, they have to actually be consultants to the people that they're selling to. So it's not just, hey, you have a problem, I have a, a piece of software, do you wanna buy it? It's a lot more about educating your, your end user. And so enablement evolved into that function that makes your sellers smarter so that they're ready to communicate with ever um, smarter end users as well. So, so complexity is the key thing, you know, I mean, B2B, one of the differences in between B2B is complexity, is inherently complexity. The, the, I love the kind of four knots thing for which um, DNX, God rest their souls, did um, a, a long time ago. Um, although, and I can remember three of them. It, it's not my money, it's not tomorrow, and it's not just my decision. And, and that, you know, that, and, and then you add the, the product complexity on top of that as well. But uh, Barry, how does that re um, resonate with you? You know, um, it, it's, it's all about the kind of I guess it's this is comes down to things like you know, complex buying decision decision making units and um, uh, you know vested interests and all those kind of things around around B two B buying, which is they've always been there, right? But but they would you have have they become have that has that has that become more complex in recent years? Well, look, I, I, I think we've definitely seen um, a shift, and I, and I think part part what part of one of the shifts we're talking about is I think. For me, sales enablement used to be very much make sure the sales guys know about the product, the solution, the service, and they have everything they need to know. I mean, you, you talked about playbooks, absolutely. Um, whereas I think there's a much, you know, with the focus now, it's actually, it's broadened a lot more from my perspective into actually what intel can we give you about your prospects and help you with the accounts you're going into. And sales enablement for me, certainly as far as, as we've seen, has, you know, that's, that's where it's broadened out. And, 
look, so we so we saw we we saw we run a lot of account-based marketing, and we saw that there were some issues in in programs and talking to clients wider than us. We saw there were some issues, and, and basically, what it came down to when when we got under the cover of it is ABM's new. It's the big thing. There's debate about that, but let's just say, for sake of argument today, it is the new thing for marketing. Okay, let's not get into that one. I don't want to open it too much, Joel. Um, but 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 the sales guys that so we would work with marketers. They would work with sales guys. The sales guys, their attitudes. We've always been account based, right? This is not a new thing. Marketing are playing catch up with us. Now, marketing was saying, well, we've got the new thing, guys, and here's lots of innovations. But they were finding out that not all of these innovations were being used by the sales guys because they were assuming that marketing were playing catch up and they were already account based. So you had this like this dissidence going on. And, 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 and that and that for me is the most recent thing that's brought us back to say, actually, you know, even as a marketing agency and even though we call it account based marketing and a lot of the stuff we do, we shouldn't focus solely on marketing outreach. We have to focus more of our time on what we can put in the hands of the sales guys and not in the hands that they need to come back to marketing each time, but genuinely put in their hands that they can use on their own and not wait on marketing. And, and I think that's been for us, that's been that's been, that's been a bit of a revelation over the last couple of years in how we look at it. Yeah, and I, I know that I you know. I'm not going to get into the ABM new or not thing because that's a, <laughs> it's not a series, um, but um, but the, yeah, it's, it's definitely has opened up the conversation more, and, and so that's a, that's a very fair point, and that's just one aspect of it. You, if you're not doing ABM, you know, there might be there's other 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 um, ways in which sales name is important. Tim Barry's point around insight and kind of um, understanding your customers. You know, have you, have you have you seen that driving um, the the relevance and the need for greater better sales enablement? Are there other factors you cite? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I agree with you that, that some of this isn't new. I remember back in 2014, 2015, sitting in a corporate office where someone came back and said, I've just been to a client and they know more than me. And it was like one of the consultants. And I'm sitting there thinking, uh, like, duh, there's this thing called the internet. <laughs> you know, like any project manager who's, you know, if you're going to run, if you're going to spend, you know, $100,000, $200,000 on a piece of software, um, you're going to go to the internet and go. So, um, so, so, what is this HR or whatever it is that you're buying? And you'll read up on it. Um, and I and I was aware of um, a transaction that took place, a two hundred and fifty thousand um, dollar accountancy uh, purchase that took place four or five years ago, um, where a person just rang up and said, "I want to buy a product." Now, it's not the best negotiating position, but you know the fact of the matter is that they want to do it. Now, I would have said that was becoming more now the norm. Um, and um, so, I mean, Gartner came, have come up with some figures that say that 30% um, of people now want to have a salesperson-less uh, buying process. Um, and millennials, um, so everybody below the age of 30, 50% of people want to have a, a, a salesperson-less um, process. And the reason for that is that we hate salespeople um, and they cause friction in the process. Um, and so one of the things is, so the question is, what is sales enablement going to do? Sales enablement has got to move sales to actually fit with the new buying process because buying has changed and buying has been changing every year since, you know, the beginning of 20,000. 20, um, and we've got to change to the way that the buyer is. The buyer is, as, as Gabby said earlier on, you know, they've got a mobile phone. They can just go and search the stuff and they can draw up a shortlist and not even tell you. Um, and the salespeople have got to be involved and, and they've got to have the, the, uh, 
um, the ability to have those conversations. So it's, it's fascinating. This uh, that resonates very strongly with me, and, and the the kind of sales name was building the future relevance and resonance for for sales. And it, you know, we there's had lots of conversations around the potentially salespersonless world. I mean, I, forgive me if I, this is an anecdote I love, which is, but uh, I was told recently that um, about a year ago that that um, you can pretty much buy a JCB um, on. We can just spec it out on online, um, and which may be terrified because. I've got a three-year-old son who would happily buy lots of them if he only knew where to put <laughs> it. You can, you can, you can um, 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 configure a Rolls Royce online. So, so yeah, so there's so, <clears throat> and um, uh, I imagine you could put as much gold in that as you wanted to, you know, as well. Absolutely, so, with yeah, a gold tap. Um, yeah, quite, quite right too. Well, we've all got, we've all got at least one of those, haven't we? Um, Tim, great, great anecdotes there. Uh, just in terms of our poll, um, you know, as you probably suspected, so seventy-one percent of people here are marketing. We've got seven percent of salespeople, a good smashing of agencies, and some others, and we don't know who those are. That's enigmatic. It could be anyone. So let's leave that leave that there. Uh, the, next, the next poll I wanted to just ask. Um, uh, we're going to end that one, um, and well, I'm going to try and end that one anyway, um, and then go back and go back into it again. Which is while we're doing that. Well, back to by this. Way, can, by the way, audience, you can ask questions. Yeah, thank you for reminding us. Um, we love questions. Barry, um, Gabby, and, and Joel. And while Joel, while Joel's we'll playing, for them. <laughs> we, we love questions. If you've got any questions, ask questions. Basically, so, what, here, Joel. Sorry. What Tim said is what Tim means is my questions are a bit boring, and he'd rather have yours. So, so no, please, no, no. I, I, want, I want questions <laughs> from the audience. Come on. <laughs> now we we definitely like to get it. Please, yeah, no, I, I'm no, no disrespect to Tim. Tim's absolutely right. We'd love to get your questions. It's much more interesting to hear what you want to say than what we want to want to witter on about. But although we're wittering on as interesting way as possible, we also just want the other question we've got is: Is sales enablement in your job title? Because you could because this is the point that Gabby made in previous discussions. Is we're starting to see people become professional sales enablement people. It's not it's not massive yet, but we're starting to see them. So we'd love to know if there are any of them out there. So. Um, and if not, are you thinking about it? It's something for the future because it's becoming so important. So I've put, we put that one in. So, so tell us what you think. Please do answer this question. If the answer is no, just tell us no. Don't ignore the question. We'd love to. We'd love to get your um, views on that one. So um, uh, excellent. So okay. Uh, so yeah, please do get your questions in. So I, I think um, uh, just thinking then about as we talked about. I think we're all we all believe that we're that there's a kind of um, a new kind of goal. We lost Gabby. We'll get it back in a moment. There's a kind of a. a, a, a golden age of um, sales enablement um, <clears throat> uh, come on board uh, and we understand why it's uh, happened. I guess uh, next thing I want to ask is what does it actually look like in kind of in reality? Um, so so what, is, what is the reality of, of being, of, of, of running sales enablement programs look like? Is it, um, is it mostly, you know, is it actually a shift in mindset or is it about kind of technology and processes? Um, Barry, what do you think? Have you got a view on this one? Do you, you know, if you're, Go on. What do you think? Yeah, so, so, no, no, it is interesting, Joel. We 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 had discuss we've had discussions over the last year about you know starting sales enablement initiatives with more of a workshop approach rather than answering a point brief to try and actually discover what what people want more holistically and address that holistically. Um, but but prior but prior to that, I think it has been very much where certain focuses are. So Tim, you know, you mentioned. I mean, social has obviously been. A massive focus for sales guys for a while now. Um, I think if you look at the platforms, the idea of social influencing or social prospecting um, and, and understanding how to use those platforms properly has been quite a journey for, for, for a lot of salespeople. And you know, you could probably split 
the sales force demographically in half to those that are digital natives. And, you know, I've, I've done workshops where you work in and you're finessing what they're doing. And those of us that are a little on the wrong side of the divide who aren't digital natives, um, where sometimes it's, it's a more challenging conversation um, of, of, about why and how and, and, what, and, and what's the best thing to get out of those platforms. But, but I'd say probably, you know, personally, the two biggest areas are probably social and intelligence um, for, 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 for where we've gone in terms of depth along the sales enablement. So, so it kind of like the, the, the use of platforms is reflective of the maturity and the understanding within the client organization. Well, you know? I, mean, I mean, a great anecdote. I, I, did a, I did a workshop with some sales guys. I won't say who, but it was, it was five, six years ago. And, you know, one guy came in late and said, I just, I just don't get it. I've been selling the way I sell for a long time. Uh, it works. I don't really know why I've been asked to come here. I don't really know why I'm sat in front of you. So we started chatting. I said, well, look, you know, I, I take it you use LinkedIn today. And, and this salesperson said, yeah, 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 absolutely. I'll do it. But, you know, I do it to find what I need to look at the people I need to look at. And that's all I need. Thanks very much. And I said, well, what do you think your prospects are doing? I went, do you think do you think they're looking at you? And he went, yeah. And I think, well, what do you think they look at your profile? And at that point, he kind of went a bit ashen faced and went, right, I think I get it. <laughs> so, so, you know, sometimes it's sometimes it's simple little things like that, just saying to people, actually, it's not just you that's that's changed or, or might need to look at how your behaviors change. Your, you know, your prospects are using these platforms to do exactly what you're doing, which is gain intelligence and insight prior to a conversation or a meeting. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's a very good point, Barry, and it, it's indicative of, of, you know, people not seeing the need to change. If, if they're being successful, you know, why, if it ain't broke, why don't try and fix it? But, you know, I, I, go on, sorry, you're going to say something else. I was, I was just going to say, I also want to say that that was just a very isolated case, by the way. I'm not painting a broad brush uh, at all there. <laughs> but it, it does, it plays kind of back to Gabby's point around earlier on that from, um, was it a HBR article where you said 70% of initiatives don't work? You know, and, I, and I've... And, and, and I've had conversations with sales people, and I work, I've got some fantastic sales we work with, and, and they're they're brilliant. But sometimes I have crazy idea. Well, it's not, and I don't, I don't think and I don't think it's crazy. I think it's obvious and logical. And I'm like, and they're like, just don't see it, just don't get it. Um, and 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 you know that's a so yeah, you need to you need to work hard with people to get them to make those changes. It's not easy, obvious to everybody. Um, Gabby, I'm going to come to you lot on this one last because I think you've got a very clear view answer on this one. But quite good to get um, uh, Tim and um, and and, um, and Barry's perspectives first of all. But Tim, so Tim, just on following on from Barry's question there around, what do you think? What's your experience of what enablement looks like in reality? Obviously, you're going to gravitate towards social because you're that's an area you're specialising in. But um, but do, any other observations about what it looks like in a practical day to day sense? Um, yeah. Um... I still think that organizations see um, technology as basically a silver bullet. I walk into a lot of organizations and I say, and they, and you know, they say, we bought this tool. And I say, so you bought a tool. So what happened? And they said, well, nothing. And I said, well, why did you think anything would happen? They said, well, the people came in, they gave a really good presentation about how things would change and stuff like that. And, you know, we have to remember that a fool with a tool is still a fool. And, and, and the fact of the matter is, is that, one of the things that the organizations have to do is they have to invest in training people. If they buy a tool, they've got to invest in training people. The other thing is that the reason why uh, initiatives fail is because they're not driven by change and in change management. So they don't have the leadership. 
So, for example, the great example, the reason why um, the best way to get a social initiative to change is to get the leadership to get on social. Um, but quite often they say, no, it's for the salespeople. So from an, an enablement perspective, the, the people have to be, or the, the sales enablement people have to be empowered to make sure that they're actually invoking the change and have the power to invoke the change that's taking place across that organization. Because at all, just won't change anything. And, and, and organizations need to stop spending money on, on stuff um, and, and actually recognizing that this is about change within the buying, in the selling process. Gabby, what do you think? Thank you, Tim. What do you think about Tim's perspective there? I mean, you know, you, you, I think, I don't think you, I can't imagine you disagree that you have to, technology by itself doesn't change anything. It's about the, the process underpinning that. Yeah, and this is it, right? I think you have to have solid processes and you have to understand what do you want the technology that you invest in to do for you? And so obviously the recommendation is find always, and this is sales enablement or whatever it is, technology partners that really will partner with you, understand your organization, and actually, you know, advise you in the right ways of deploying that. Um, and I think, you know, there's a couple of fundamental things that anyone looking at sales enablement needs to think about before they even think, hey, I think I need a solution for this. They need to think that, you know, the traditional life cycle of selling, it's being disrupted as we speak. And we've been talking about this for, for years now. But this is not just because, you know, clients have a lot of tools at their disposal and there's more tools than they know what to, to do with. But also, you know, they're hiring a whole bunch of different people on the selling side and they're coming from different generations, different backgrounds, different spaces and selling to all kinds of different personas as well. And so just saying, hey, you know what, we're going to put a Band-Aid on this and say we have a solution. Well, that's great but that solution isn't gonna be adopted. That solution is just going to be a money sink. And then the executives at the company will say, oh, you know, we invested in sales enablement, that didn't work. So let's go back to something else. And so I think a tool has to come together with very, very solid strategies as to what are you trying to get out of this before any further investments are made. Okay, so so that's that's great. You're hearing it for everybody. It's a you know, it's the processes, it's the people first of all, and then the technology after that. Um, Gabby, just to just to reflect on the um, whilst we're talking to you, uh, reflecting on the responses to the poll, which I hope you can see on the on your screen now. So we asked people, do you have sales enablement in their job? And you know, it's predicated on the conversation we've had before. You know, and about just about almost twenty percent of people um, said they do actually have it in their job. So that's quite interesting. Um, are you? I'm quite encouraged by that. What do you think? I actually think this is indicative of the kind of um, revolution that we're seeing, so to speak, in terms of sales enablement, right? If you'd asked that question 12 months ago, it would have been closer to like 10% or so. And so I think there has been um, a lot of change in how people are viewing sales enablement. They're creating room for sales enablement professionals to be there. And I keep arguing, you know, you might not have sales enablement in your job title today, but chances are as a marketer, a portion of your role is really sales enablement. So whether you're a product marketer, creating product sheets, et cetera, and taking those out there to the sales organization, you are enabling sales. Yeah. If you are a field marketer and you are putting together the regional sales motions or marketing sales motions, you are in sales enablement. Um, and now you're seeing these kinds of people with that background branching out, getting certifications, and actually starting to, to do sales enablement as as a job. So I think that's going to keep increasing, but it's super encouraging. And 
it's it's definitely something that I'm starting to see a lot in different organizations. Good stuff. Okay. Well, it's 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 just I was really pleased we got a chance to benchmark it a bit. So I'm not suggesting this is going to be represented the whole B2B marketing universe because there's a degree of self-selecting activity about this. But at the same time, the fact that there's a there's a you know a big clutch of people on this call who are involved is is, is a good thing. Um, so we're getting some questions in the audience now. So that's so it's really good. I don't have um, your names attached to it. So uh, forgive me if I'm not the platform doesn't tell me who you are. So I'm not being rude by not mentioning your names. Uh, if you if going forward, if you could put your name in, it'd be helpful. Then you might um, listen extra hard to the um, to the answer you got here. Um, so I'm going to go to the first one first, which is: Do you have any tips for helping salespeople reach key decision makers now that we're restricted digital channels only? Well, I mean, this is probably the question right now, isn't it? Right. Um, so um, maybe maybe I'm going to maybe I'll, I'll pitch that one at Tim first of all. Um, what, what do you think on this one? Um, yes, um, absolutely. Um, we've been doing it for five years. Contact me. I'll help you. Um, read my book. It's on. It's on Amazon. Um, come on. Um, could, you, could you summarize a couple? Of you social is the is, is that would be your answer to that one? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. We, we, you know, we, you know, uh, we've got we've got organisations that are just crushing it, absolutely crushing it. Um, I mean, we most the thing is, is that most organisations actually say they're on social in some shape or form, and what we'll prove to you is that they're not. And what we've actually moved on and we're now talking about how as an organization you can get digital dominance and actually completely crush the competition and move them up because people are just moving so slowly um and um up through through various reasons but you know it, how do you context um you know we've got a guy who's getting you know puts a piece of content up and he'll get five six c-level meetings and it takes 10 10 minutes to create the content i mean that's how easy it is you just need to know what to do it's just a process okay um so so social is obviously a means of of reaching people um and um and, and then there's i guess there's a kind of what you do once you've got there as well and that's around the creation of the content yeah, yeah the thing the thing about social what you've got to understand is is about creating conversations and and there's a lot of things that, that are being done you know um um brochures and things like that they don't create conversations and what we can what, what we have uh, as salespeople is the ability to be empowered to go and have conversations on, on social and what people want is is human contact so they don't want to basically get some sales pitch that says buy my product because it's great because everybody says that and nobody likes being pitched to on social we all hate basically people coming to us on LinkedIn and basically pitching to us. And it's about using psychology as a way um, to, 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 to reach out to people and have one-to-one -one conversations with them. And what will happen is that you'll find that they'll invite you into a call and all of a sudden you're able to pitch stuff. I mean, you know, I've had three pitch calls today purely from social where the com I've had a conversation on social and it's just basically said, let's go on a Zoom call. And you go on a Zoom call and they say, so what do you do, Tim? So, so, the the power of social is is very is is clear from from Tim's perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so th thank you, Tim. That's much appreciated. Barry, tell us about what's your what's your take on this one. What are you have you got any? I mean, appreciate persons asked for examples, but you know we we haven't got time or the scope to go into a huge amount of detail. You know, you're presumably as an agency, you're working across any yeah. any medium or any channel. Um, what have you seen working particularly in this environment? Well, look, look I, I I think um, there are lots of areas across social. You know, I'd agree with Tim. That, that's a very obvious area for selling, especially direct selling, i.e. being able to find a named contact. Uh, I don't mean approaching them directly, Tim. I mean, I'm 100 percent 
in agreement. You know, for me, the analogy is same as walking into an, a face-to-face -face networking event. You wouldn't walk into the middle of a group and start pitching to them, right? You'd look, you would look no. at right Wally. What you would do is join the group at the fringes, start chatting to somebody, find out someone in the group who's got a common interest, begin a conversation and go from there. And social platforms are no different and they allow you to do that in a digital context. I think I think for some people they they give them more coverage and reach doing that because they, you don't have to travel to have those conversations right you don't have to get on the train or get in the car so so it's interesting look McKinsey's um, ha have a piece of research that shows that during COVID and during the lockdown a lot more selling has gone digital okay no surprise but what was interesting for me was sellers liked it right there was a big uplift in people who enjoyed selling digitally now. We always assume it has to be face to face, and I think there's a, a massive role for face to face. But <laughs> interesting that, and and obviously also the people being sold to like digital, and I think the obvious reason is they've got more control over that environment and 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 how they interact. But I think you know prospecting on um, social platforms is a very direct way, as yeah. ever, it's how you do it, and 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 that. You know, if you're looking at agencies and people to work with, that's it's not whether they do pros social prospecting or not. It's how they do it is the key bit. And and I think I think one other area is social influencing. Now this is much more of an art than a science, right? But it, you know, using using your networks um, and 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 being able to curate and curate interesting things out to your network to engage to engage them. And and I think that I think that's the key word for me. It's about engagement. If you get good engagement, then a conversation can go somewhere. And if you think about engagement, that's the right mentality to how you should approach this. Br briefly, Barry, do you think some of these things are, might historically, not correctly, been attributed more to marketing than sales? You know, sales, we didn't necessarily think that that's what they were, they were there to do. Um, or, and do you think there's, there is a, there is a, a shifting? That's a huge generalisation. I accept it. I'd ask Tim, but but, um, I'd, but I'd rather ask you in this context. I think I'm sure he's got loads of opinions on this. Yes. Yeah, so, so look, if I, if I took the example of influencing, if we go back three, four, five years, the mar I think the marketers, uh, the product marketers, the subject matter experts were the first to jump on that idea and really think about how they used social platforms to do it. But I would say that switched now completely. You know, I think as more salespeople use these platforms and are comfortable with them, they see the benefit of what, you know, it, quite often it comes to, if I've used up all these channels, what else can I do and what else is available? So sometimes people are, you know, a, a social influencing is a route because you've, you've, you've used everything else and you need to find something else to, to engage people. So, yeah, so, so I, I think that's, yeah, I, th I think that is one switch that I've seen yeah. between marketing and sales. Okay, I want to give Gabby a chance to come in here because she's been very patient, and we've you know lots of stuff. Here. So, Gabby, what's your response on this one? You know, what? I mean, obviously, social is a is a kind of means to reach people. I guess means is is one thing. Is then is once you've reached them, what do you do next, and how do you connect with them, and what, what, how do you what have you so what have you seen? So, I think social is one way to connect with people. It's a very important way to connect with people. But right now, it's not the only way. And I think it's really important for sellers to understand they have multiple routes um, to sell. Some are more efficient than others. And I think the most important thing here is for um, sellers to really understand the impact of each of the activities that they do in order to reach an account. And so there's a stat from Serious Decision that I quite like. And it says that 
B2B buyers have an average of nine human interactions before they make any sort of purchase. And those interactions will take place usually across a cross section of about 11 roles. And so a couple of key things to keep in mind in order to effectively sell multi-threading, that's really, really important. And so the job of sales enablement is to understand who are you targeting? Um, how do they prefer to be reached out to? Um, a C-level executive might be more traditional in terms of what they're going to like, whereas a younger sort of manager level person will want to be approached by social. I don't know. There, there's multiple different ways. And the other thing is, are your tactics effective? Are you looking at the analytics behind everything that you're doing to understand whether certain pieces of content work better than others in some channels? Um, social is going to be very quick kind of um, quick kind of hits. And so there's a bifurcation of attention where people either want super quick hits or things that they can be completely immersed by. And so do you understand what to leverage and when? And I think that's super important. And again, a good sales enablement function will we'll understand all of that. And we'll be able to work with marketing. And if that's run by marketing as well, marketers will have to really drill down into the numbers and understand what kind of content works with what persona and at what time. And they'll also have to understand um, that kind of multi-threading motion. And I think that's gonna be super important regardless of, of channel, right? And I think that's um, something to be considered too. So very, it's, it's complex and nuanced in the way you describe it, but there's a huge amount of value in understanding that and, and building programs around that. Um, uh, we, we've got a, lots of questions in, so thank you for the panel for their answers to that one. We've got a lot of questions and I want to just kind of crack on with these and trying to get as many as possible. The next one is, is, a, is a, um, an obvious question, but it's a great question as well, which is, again, reflective of these times we're operating in. This individual, and I apologize, I don't know you, I can't see your name here. We've seen a huge transformation over the past year. What are your thoughts around B2B in-person versus virtual conferences? We've been through this transformation ourselves personally, so we can really relate to this one. Do you see, when I say we, B2B marketing, we. Do you see the future being much more focused around digital events, being, you know, particularly bearing in mind in the UK, certainly we've just got to the, we've got a, a roadmap out of lockdown. So, you know, and one of my events team sent me a, a, an email from a B2B conference going, they're running a B2B live conference in May. That is ballsy. Um, so interested to hear your views. So what does the future look like? Uh, Gabby, I'll come to you first on this one as you were patiently waiting at the end of the last one. You know, do, do you see, is, the, is are, are we going to have a two stream future? So as a marketer, one of the things that I always keep in mind is I'm trying to reach as many relevant people as possible with my programs and be that an event or, you know, uh, an ebook or whatever. And I think the, one of the things that COVID accelerated it didn't create it, right? And I think a lot of people give credit to COVID, but that's not true. It's been happening for a long, long time, is that idea that events, um, they're going to have two elements where they're in-person and virtual, and that's all happening at the same time. And you look at what LinkedIn events is doing, you look at you know, what even events like um, Mobile World Congress, for example, what they do, they have that online portion, they have the in-person portion as well. And I think that's gonna continue. I think that's gonna be accelerated. And what that's going to do is it's going to create a lot more immersive sort of experiences where people are engaging with brands in multiple different ways, where, you know, they're going to be interested in some things for in person, some of the networking, perhaps, and all of that. And the content's going to be consumed on demand wherever they, they happen to be and however they want to do it. And so I think from an enablement perspective, um, 
salespeople will have to be smarter as well, right? Truly understand who's at um, at the events, the kinds of conversations that they're going to want to have. I think you know going to the traditional booth and having those uh, demos that that's likely to change. No one wants to proactively go to a booth, which is why people put them where the food is, right? Um, but they still want to see the demos. And so um, it's a lot more about giving control to the attendees and having a lot better experiences that are far more on demand and ready to meet people where they are than they have been um, in the past. Well, that's a, that's, a, that's a great answer and lots of detail in there, you know, and the salespeople definitely need to respond to the environment. Tim, how do you see it? Do you, do you, can, what, how do you reflect on this or whatever anything Gabby said? I think that events have been disrupted. I think we've moved on from events. Um, you know, we can go and have um, conversations. You know, there's 720 million people on LinkedIn. We can go and have, I can have a conversation with any of them. Why do I have to wait to go to an event? Um, and I can provide to go to them and, and basically have a conversation with them on, on social. So, um, and I think, you know, that the, um, the research is showing that people have, have got, well, um, online event fatigue. Um, and you know we've had enough and unfortunately what events have happened is that they've turned into pitches and, and people have had enough of it and they some people may go to it I mean I've been to a number of events and you saw people going around looking at brochures but most people you know if you want to find your clients your clients are on social and you can go and have conversations with them and I think Tim what Tim says is obviously completely true when it part when it applies to b2b marketing's own events which obviously completely none of those things apply to that you know obviously that we, ours, ours are completely above that in different stratosphere but um Tim thank you that's a, that's a great perspective Barry how do you where, do you where do you sit on this one is there a future here is it too stream or is it are they completely irrelevant uh, look, I, I kind of I, I kind of agree you know at the Perhaps one of the problems we're starting to experience at the moment is congestion in some digital areas, you know, because of the switch, and and that and that's the only area to be. Will, will that will that stay? It, it's difficult to say. My, you know, my sneaky suspicion is we're humans at heart, and as much as there's the ever lasting debate about events, right? And in marketing and sales terms, is an event a good thing or not a good thing? Is it measurable? Is it measurable? Does it lead to lead? Is it vanity? Right. As, as much as you have that debate, I think as the situation calms down, as as, as we move through the pandemic, my sneaky suspicion is yes, we will gravitate back towards some of these face-to-face -face things. Now, will it be Tim to Tim to Tim's point? Will it be at the same level as before? And will people herald, you know, the the death of the event? I, I, I really I really don't know but um but I think you know as beings who like to see each other I, I don't see how we won't end up in some form of face-to-face -face events again I, th I think a super spreader event Sorry, Tim, what do you say a super I mean you know a super spreader event I mean we're all going to go along and basically give each other COVID disaster sure sure, sure. but uh, yeah I mean that that I, I'm thinking obviously yeah probably a bit beyond that um I, do I, I think, think one, go, go on, Gabby, sorry. No, it's just there's room for the online portion, there's room for the in-person portion. But I do think that if you're making people physically travel somewhere, right, and even spend time online on something, the, there has to be a clear value to the event. And, you know, it's going to get away from some of the super outright kind of pitching. And it's more, what can you learn? So it's what, how can I become a better professional? How can I network a little bit more? So I think events are still going to be there, but I think their purpose and how they're going to be um, organized, that's going to change. And I think that's the important bit. And as marketers, we have to think about that. And Joel, you know, one of your biggest competitors has to be something like Clubhouse. 
because we can go and clubhouse is a fantastic place to go and have conversations with people and the great thing about it is there's no pitching there's no there's no distractions in terms of video there's no distractions in terms of chat and you just go on and have a conversations with people and 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 all voice based social media is is having a massive impact in um uh in the world today in the way that people are basically absorbing it and realizing that I can get proper insight without the pitches in, in a clubhouse room and that's and it's it's a it's a attracting a lot of attention right now and yeah that sounds very fascinating channel fascinating explosion and interest in that i guess and, and thank you i think i'm really the fascinating response to this question so thank you to the panel i guess trying to root it back in the question which is around sales like for me what that says is salespeople have to continue to be responsive and adapt to the environment um and 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 to to to, to you know we may have adapted we may have flexed and changed and responded last year but that ain't enough you know it's going to change it's going to continue to change and and um and marketing's job is to assist that is to provide what marketing what sales needs at that time um and to to be have be fluid in thought and deed and mind to do it oh i feel better now i've got that off my chest um uh, we've got a couple more questions to get through so we want to want to and we've got time for some more so please don't be shy we, um please get your questions in um another next question is for organizations where sales department um having a silo mentality what are best practices that can open up the collaboration between sales and marketing and that's a classic isn't it really gabby do you want i'm sure you've got a got a perspective on this one Oh, I love that question. And I think, you know, there's a lot of things that can be done and it really depends on what the corporate culture is. So there's no one single answer that solves absolutely everything. But I do think, you know, marketers have to start listening to, to sellers a little bit more and understand when they say, you know what, you guys aren't giving us enough, you know, Actually, they're not really saying, oh, you guys are incompetent, you're not doing enough, because a, a marketer will kind of go, oh my gosh, like they're not really appreciating all of the hard work that goes into something. That's not true. What they're saying, though, is you guys are doing a lot. I don't know where to find it. And when I do find it, I don't know how to adapt it, because they know that every conversation they have is singular and is unique. And, and so they need to be able to take all of that content that marketers put together find it quickly, adapt it to the conversations. And so that's step number one. So it's understanding and not being defensive about it and saying, you know, what are you really trying to get out of us? The other part of it is, how are you really showing sellers that you understand the conversations that they're having every single day? And I think a lot of it is understanding the analytics behind all of that content. It's being able to look and say, you know what, you guys, I see that when you lead a first conversation with this slide deck, you tend to have a second conversation. You tend to go deeper into that funnel. And so as marketers, I'm sorry to say this, but a lot of us have a super creative background. We have to become ma the masters of numbers and actually speak a language that, mark that, that salespeople will really understand, right? And it's understanding that if we pull this lever, that action, that, that kind of outcome will come out and being prepared, creating that framework to presenting that back to sales. So I think those are the two sort of key things that I've that I've done. And at Highspot, we do this really, really well, right? We obviously use our own product. We look at the analytics behind absolutely everything and we truly understand what works. And we, we do have the uncomfortable conversations with sales as well to say, you know what, we did this, it didn't land and here's why. Um, you have to get comfortable having those uncomfortable conversations. I could talk about this the entire day, but I'm limited on time. So, <laughs> back to you guys. 
Tim, you're nodding along furiously there. So, so you, what Gabby's saying makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What Gabby's saying is right. You know, you've got to have a common language. Um, you know, like what is a lead? Um, and I know that we, you know, we got into all this stuff about what an MQL and SQL is, but we need to know what they are so we can actually discuss it. Because what happens is that people come to meetings and they talk the same language, but actually it's got different definitions. Um, and, um, you know, just inviting people to meetings and, and stuff. Um, I, I must admit, I, I actually wrote my second book on this subject. So um, um, it, it, it's, it, you know, it, we've, I, at my previous corporate job, we, you know, we, we just, you know, we invited marketing to the sales meeting and that was revelation. And sales were invited to the marketing meeting and there was probably about 12 months where there was quite often where people turned around and said, no, that, that event you're running is shit. Um, and then we went, people went back and went, oh, right, yeah, yeah, probably it is, isn't it? And then what happens is uh, over time, they get closer and closer and closer. But you've got to have that conversation. You've got to start talking to each other rather than throwing rocks at each other over email, which is what, which is what we were doing. Uh, and which is um, satisfying in some respects, but not very helpful, ultimately, I suspect. Um, yeah. um, thank you very much, Tim. Ba Barry, you see this from the outside. Well, certainly your current role as an agency, but I guess you see a bit of sales, a bit of marketing. Um, you know, how do you, what do you do to, to, break, to break down those silos? So, so, so for, me, for me, it's a, you know, one way of looking at it, it's a people thing, again. Um, if, if I think about, again, account-based marketing has given us the excuse to drive this. And actually, really, we should be driving it across all marketing programs, which is single strategic approach, which means alignment. Alignment means sitting in the same room together. Now, it, it, we, we start all of our programs with a workshop where we absolutely insist sales and marketing are in that workshop. And for a large portion of our clients, if they're doing account-based marketing for the first time, we quite often will have to have a bit of a debate with the guys about the value of having the sales guys in the workshop and usually the argument is presented as is this a valuable use of their time okay now the the the, the answer for me is always yes i obviously have to explain why i say yes but it's always a, a massive yes um if, if you don't have people talking together in the same room to your point tim people say the same thing but mean different things people will yeah. people will walk around uh, of avoiding confrontation and conflict and saying they absolutely agree with each other doing two completely different things and until you physically sit people in a room and they say what they mean and they say oh well actually that that's either is in line or it's not in line then you don't get that you don't get that alignment so so look we, we i mean we we, we run workshops <laughs> at various points in various programs and for me it's always 50% is the intellectual output of that workshop. It's the messaging or whatever you do. 50% is having the right people in the room agreeing. What are the priorities? What are the no's? You know, all, all, all of those things. So, so, so I, th I think, I think for me, that's key. Yeah. I, I, I think, um, We've just got a really good couple of questions just coming, but I just we've, got, we've not got much time to answer, which is frustrating. But I, even so, I'm going to intersperse check something, which is, in my mind, there's this like there's sales enablement sales marketing alignment is not necessarily the same thing as sales and their marketing sales enablement sales marketing alignment is the kind of structural setup of how these functions work together and that is about breaking down the barriers and then enablement is in the ongoing process of what marketing does to feed sales to make it work so you know both of them contributing to breakdown breaking down both of them contribute to creating the silos or reinforcing them and both of them should be contributing to breaking them down um luke has asked a great question at the end here um which is one of the questions i asked so that's why it's great because i already thought of it um which is um 
Good to hear your thoughts on how marketing can assist with final stage negotiations. A brand I'm working in on currently has no retention specific activity in the final three months of a subscriber's journey, um, as they have labeled it sales sales territory. What are your suggestions to how we can support sale, the sales team in these months rather than just putting our feet up, coffee and biscuit in hand? Luke, great question. Um, I, may, I don't know, maybe uh, who can I go to first? Maybe I'll go to Gabby first on this one. Well, my first question would be, why has it been labeled sales territory? And traditionally, how has marketing tried to penetrate that? First and foremost, you have to ask the question and understand why why it's been like that. Um, and then you can come up with a joint response as to how you can actually influence um, those last three months. I would say, you know, show the value that you can do. Are you trying to upsell? Is it retention only? Are you trying to um, get more people involved in whatever it is that that you're trying to to sell or retain? Um, what is the churn rate that you guys are working with? And so there's a lot here at play that you have to truly understand before you can make any suggestions. But what I would say is try to be an active participant um, in that conversation and offer solutions. And one of the key things you can do is work with those guys to create the content that they tend to use when they're having those conversations. What personas are they really targeting? What is the that process in the last three months? And find the avenues through which you can actually get that content in the hands of the people. And as I keep saying, look at the analytics. Are those people consuming it? What do they do? Um, so, so lots of different sort of answers. There's no perfect one, but I would start with that initial investigation before making any um, in-depth suggestions. Can I, can I add to what Gabby's saying? Go and have a meeting with somebody in marketing. Go and have a meeting with somebody um, who's actually looking to renew. That's it. You have to know your buyer, right? As marketers, we can't sit here anymore and say, oh, yeah, I'm here writing content or I'm doing this program for imaginary people. Every single marketer has to get in front of prospects. (laughs) They have to talk to customers and actually get under their skin every single time. I think I think you've granted a great um, new title, new publication, new title for our publication, B2I, B2Imaginary People. I quite like that. You know, they can be whoever you want them to be. Clever, huh? <laughs> it's very successful marketing, though, funny enough. Um, Gabby, Tim, great. Uh, last thought from Barry there on that one, because we're just we're pretty much out of yeah, time. I was just going to say, you know, if it's a subscription model, why is it down to the last three months to look at renewing the subscription? If it's a subscription, this should be lifecycle management and marketing and sales should be on a pattern for whether that's 12 months, 24 months, whatever it is. Okay, so so the answer is there's a lot you can do in the last three months. There's a lot we can do all the way along the journey. Um, and it's about the, the yeah. better joined up, we can be the better. There were lots more questions I'd like to ask. And I'm sorry, there are a couple we've had in the ones I didn't get time to go through, but we had so many good ones. Thank you so much for your, your questions. More particularly, thank you to our panel. They've been absolutely fantastic today. Really great answers and great responses. Really much appreciated to all of you for your time. So um that's all from us thank you all i could ask the panel to say goodbye and, and thank you thanks very much to them gabby thanks to gabby thank you to tim thank and you thank you to Barry. much appreciate all of you really great responses and answers hope you can join us again for another webinar very very soon but anyway for now from us goodbye thanks very much bye thank, thank you, you.